peace and positivity, everyone. It's Takesha of Native Nubian Wellness, and you are tuning in to another session of Black Women Who Blaze. Today, I have a very special guest with me, which I'm totally honored that she decided to share some time and space and, and grace us on the platform. She is definitely an OG, an original goddess in the cannabis industry and advocacy um, so, you know, we're, we're moving into uh, Black History Month, and I'm so glad to have her as a feature for um, Black Women Who Blaze during this month. And so without further ado, uh, Tiffany Watkins is joining me today, and she's widely recognized as Lady Canna, has charted an impressive trajectory in the cannabis community with a robust background in IT as a network systems engineer. She boasts extensive experience in the tech space, backed by degrees in computer sciences and network infrastructure alongside multiple certifications. And STEM is just really important for us. Um, so I, I'd love to dive into that with you as we uh, get more into your story. But her involvement in cannabis advocacy spans over three decades, cementing her status as a staunch advocate for the cannabis plant and the people affected by its vilification. Tiffany's dedication to grassroots campaigning has been pivotal in patient representation, championing harm reduction initiatives, shaping public policy and spearheading community organizing efforts. In a groundbreaking move in 2019, Tiffany, Tiffany established Vanguard Media Online, an innovative platform and magazine singularly dedicated to celebrating the prowess of women in cannabis. I love that. Vanguard stands as a testament to her unwavering commitment, proudly amplifying the contributions, ingenuity, and trailblazing spirit of women across the industry. I, I think that our, our goals are aligned. <laughs> And adding to her accomplishments, Tiffany Watkins has also founded Take Back Coaching, a transformative initiative aimed at removing obstacles to success in life and business. This coaching endeavor embodies her commitment to empowering individuals to overcome challenges and unlock their fullest potential. Tiffany Watkins embodies a fusion of tech know-how, profound advocacy, and a visionary spirit epitomizing an influential figure, bridging advocacy and the thriving cannabis landscape. Thank you, Tiffany, for joining me. I, I, I greatly appreciate it, really. You know, um, I mean, you just have so many things, so many layers that I want to dive into, <laughs> you know, and so it, because it's so much for us as Black women, you don't see us in tech, you know, there's that big that big push, you know, STEM and studying science, especially computer science, right? And engineering, you know, so to to be uh to to be so uh, a black woman in that space early on in your career as alongside advocacy for cannabis is just tremendous and you know, 30 plus years <laughs> in the space, you are modern day history. So, you know, I we I just want to know all the things, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much it's a it's a pleasure and an honor to be here i'm actually i i know this is going to be a great conversation and, and i've been looking forward to it and i appreciate your time you know this is a wonderful uh thing to put out 
for folks, you know, to understand the true stories, our stories, stories as women, stories as Black people uh, is really important, you know, in yeah. all of the aspects. So, yes, yes, yes. I mean, you know, I, like you said, it's really important because if if not us who, if we're not going to tell our own stories, then we leave it for others to tell. And oftentimes, you know, the, the truth is not told. So, you know, from our perspective and our experiences, we have to get the, the word out there, especially, you know, the walks that we've walked, right? Um, so, you know, how we connected was uh, through a social platform. I, I, you know, I was introduced to Tokativity, um, through Lisa, right? And um, she's one of the founders of Tokativity. And she brought me on uh, for um, a presentation and I I, I um, participated in the rest, watching everyone's, uh, you know, sessions. And you and uh, Ms. Kind Kindness Ramirez had a, a really impactful series going on, uh, which was Bridges, right? And it was like cultural conversations are surrounding cannabis and, and all the things cannabis and those, uh, you know, minorities and um, those who have been um, impacted by prohibition. And so that is how I, I became aware of you initially. But as I've uh, participated in Tokativity, I did see that you had a media company, right? Um, Vanguard Magazine and online. And um, I thought that was super dope. And it was uh, inspirational, you know, because I, that was something that I was looking towards to create a publication as well. And so that was our initial introduction. And then we got to meet each other in person at NECAN uh, 2023. So that was one of the highlights of uh, NECAN for me. I think they're asking like, what are your highlights um, on their social medias? And I was like, that was it for me, you know? Um, really just seeing someone that I admire in the space who's had the history and advocacy and affecting change. But then also when we see each other, it's just like, yes, because it, it's not many of us, right? So. I, I'm I'm excited for you to um, give us a little bit of how you started in um, in the cannabis advocacy space and um, long ago, right? Thirty years. Yeah, yeah, thirty yeah, thirty plus years is a long time ago. But I will preface it with saying that there are people who have been fighting this fight much longer than I have. You know that I'd be considered a baby amount of time to some people who have really really been able to dig in deep and start those first little inklings of change, those first little inklings of change inside of our communities, um, working hard and some paying the ultimate price, you know, some still sitting behind bars, you know, so there's a, there's, there was many that came before me, but I'm very, very proud to be amongst them, uh, even in a small way. Um, for me, uh, cannabis was, I mean, the introduction to cannabis is, is typically the same for most of us. We, we start by consuming. And I was lucky enough to have a circle of people around me who were elders in the space. They were not just the typical stoners. So they were educating us, all of us younger ones, while um, you know sharing with us. So I got to learn some of the fights that they were already fighting and those wheels were turning in my head going, this doesn't seem right. You know, here I was, you know, 17, 18 years old going, hey, you know what? This is, this is really a tool for, racism this has been made into uh, a weapon for our communities 
um, and communities at large. You know, I don't want to just say that the, the Black and Brown communities were only affected. We were by far the most affected, but not the only communities affected. And in such a, a broad approach to creating a villain out of an herb is still to this day mind-blowing to me. So I entered with that mindset. And thankfully, with that level of education and heart that I was able just to jump in and go, where do you need me? And at that time, in the late 80s and early 90s, we couldn't just go out there and go, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this in cannabis right now. People go, you're doing what? That would have gotten me kicked out of college. That would have got, you know, I would have not had any, I wouldn't have had a chance. So we operated when in the shadows. I always say, I'm an outlaw. Many of us are outlaws. We got medicine where it needed to be. We got voices heard that needed to be heard. We amplified ourselves. I've written many a speech. I've um, I've signed up many a voter, and you know all these things to help push initiatives forward. While I was still in my first four years of college, so I was I was quite young, and we you know we didn't have the the media to rely on. Everything in the media was against us. Everything was if you have this plant near you on your person, if you consume it, if you're about it, you are a criminal. You are one of the dregs of society. So it was very difficult to navigate. I'm always thankful to the elders who held our hands and showed us how to navigate on the back end so that we can help people on the front line. And most of those people who needed help on the front line were those who were suffering from illness. I, you know, my, my, my heyday is during the time where AIDS was just rampant. And there were some therapies and those therapies came at a huge price, livelihood, they were sick from the medication. Some getting medication way too late, being passed over because, again, another marginalized community was affected greatly by AIDS and HIV. Right. And that was our LGBTQ plus communities. Okay. And there were, people were fighting, fighting just to be able to live a little bit longer. And if they could live a little bit longer, they wanted some quality of life and cannabis and some other herbal therapies were there for them, but they were being treated like criminals. People I personally knew were being arrested for possession of a plant to make them feel better, to help them eat. Mm. And it just was a travesty, something to look back on and go, those weren't fun times. Those aren't fond memories, you know, but we had a, we had a job to do and by far every little piece there are many of us, what I call drops in the bucket, but together, the unity of that created a lot of change, created a lot of push forward to what we have now, which isn't perfect, but it certainly isn't what we, in anything near what we thought we could have in 1989, 1992, you know, in those days. So, you know, I always look back at that fondly and go, the grassroots movements do work and it takes all of us we're so separated right now by licenses and ancillary and all this stuff for the plant forgetting the unity and that's where the point where i come from that is my origin story it was those who included me to educate me to teach me to fight and empower me and embolden me with not only their strength but fuel that gave me the passion to keep pushing forward and, um, you know, there's a lot more that I continue to try to do to put that same fuel that was put into me into others in the next generation so that we can continue this fight because the fight's still on. We haven't won anything yet. That's right. Not by far. 
That's right. So, yeah, you know, that's, that is, people say, where do you come from? <laughs> that's where I come from. I come from the point of we've got to do much more than what we're doing now to get as far as we think we see into the future. And that's not just me talking now, 2024. That was me talking in 1990, you know, because it was the same thing. We've got to do more. We've got to do so much more. All of what they did in, was in vain if we don't do more now. And all of what we're doing right now will be in vain if we don't do more for the future. Yeah. It has to be. Yes, I agree. I agree. And, you know, there was a few things that you said in there I found, you know, very interesting. And I think that um, it, it, we, we don't realize that we have to get the youth involved, right? And because of the stigma, of course, and, you know, and all the things with, you know, uh, cannabis being bad, weed being bad, marijuana being bad, that it's stay away from drugs. But the lack of education is really what uh, drives this, right? And so the fact that you had elders, even though it was, uh, you know, they had to do it on the back end, they educated you, you know, in your youth, because they knew that getting the youth involved would, would help to drive this. Like you said, if you didn't get involved as a youth, 30 years, you know, the 30 years that you put in, we may not have seen this type of movement, you know, the an actual industry, because you didn't get involved really to advocate for an industry to be able to be formed. It was advocating for people to have access and the freedom to consume a plant for their own health and well-being. Right? It was advocating for freedom and liberation. It really was not advocating for people to be able to make millions and billions of dollars. That's not, <laughs> that wasn't the initial uh <laughs> We couldn't even fathom that. We could not fathom that people would be basing a business model off of the cannabis plant at that point in time. Not like what it, what we have now. We didn't envision a regulatory system around the plant. What we envisioned was some freedom to choose. Yes. To choose a medical path, to choose a life path, yes. and to just the freedom to choose things around you that are not harming you or anyone else. And that was really what we were looking looking forward to. And, you know, even when we started to to build things, um, you know, like at the formation of things like the 215, um, Proposition 215 movement in California, um, it still was about freedom. It wasn't about a regulatory system. It was really about allowing folks to choose a pathway, whether that be for their health and wellness or for their recreation, or just for their life in general, the freedom to be able to walk that path without interruption. Life interrupted is the government's way. I mean, I really hate to sound like such a conspiracy theorist, but the, it's all right here in front of us to see, read, taste, feel, and live, is that you know we, we live a life interrupted oftentimes because of rules and regulations. And here we have done the same thing around this plant. That's why the fight is still on. We still need things to look and feel the way that we want them to so this community isn't completely lost to an industry. And a thriving industry at that, I won't take that away, but we still deserve to have the community around it. Right, right, right. I Like you said, it should stem from and look more like and built like you know, what the plant embodied, you know, that was, you know, really what I advocate for, you know, the plant doesn't need to be 
um, like you said, capitalized on to the point <laughs> of losing its true purpose, right? You know, what, like you said, whether it's uh, for therapeutic or medicinal or for some recreational uh, enjoyment, you, it, the access to it has changed. You know, the, the, uh, the vibe of it has changed. And have you noticed that um, in the direction it's going in? You know, what do you think about it? You know, what I, I, I think is that we need to get a stranglehold on that vibe, on what this, what point, at where we want to point this industry back at the community. Um, what's being lost is the ability to have inclusivity. Um, I think I'm all for a brand new industry in America, 100%. How can I not be for that? How could you, me, anyone, right? But what I don't want to see is there to be this exclusionary tactic where there are only certain folk who get to thrive in this space. Every other industry in America has origins in bias. Mm -hmm. And we have the greatest opportunity with this new burgeoning industry to make true change. Right. And what it looks like in the future is a testament to what we look like at the moment of creation. Right. And right now we're pretty separate. Mm -hmm. And if people believe that that doesn't spill into this cannabis space, into these businesses, it looks all cool. You go into a dispensary and there's great music and there's cool people and you're having a wonderful time. I think people forget that there is there are layers to all of that. And people are being discriminated against. People of color, yeah. women, some people with disability. Yeah. I mean, there's still, this is still present even in this very freedom-based industry right. so right now is our opportunity our good and clean opportunity to do what's right you know, we want banking we're just having this conversation the other day we want the freedom to be able to bank just like anyone else right but we need to correct wrongs that have been going on for these exclusionary tactics cannabis is but one exclusionary tactic that our banking system federally has yeah and if we're willing to take a look and unpack all of those types of things we are going to build on top of those things and they'll still trickle through into our industry this is our opportunity to make real change in multiple aspects of our lives yes. through this community turned industry and i think that we need not be blind to that i agree i agree as you know this i said that this plant is a tool for liberation it can be used as a tool for liberation um for those who have been oppressed and suppressed you know, it, it brings balance to the body, but it also can bring balance to this planet and humanity, you know, if utilized properly. So I agree that, you know, this is just one industry, you know, and at the same time, it's a new one. And if it's going to be built on the same things, <laughs> you know, that all other industries have been built on, then we, we, which we're already seeing the effects of it, right? And and what people are calling equity, you know, not really having an equitable opportunity. Uh, that was just a conversation. And when you you listed uh, all the uh, exclusionary, um, you know, I, I would say groups 
so far, you know, I had to raise my hand for all three, you know, mm -hmm. being a disabled woman of color. And it's like, uh, wait a minute, that's me, you know, and I, I definitely feel it. You know, yeah. I definitely feel it, you know, so this is why creating platforms like this, where I can speak, you know, about what's what I'm witnessing, you know, uh, at this day and time and other people in other parts of the country like yourself are witnessing and experiencing and have seen throughout the years. It's just truly important. And so, yeah, you know, I didn't get into what, where you were located and where you are from. Right. I think that we just dove right in. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> <we did. laughs> and so where you uh, located? Well, not currently, but where you where you originally from? I'm originally from California. Oh, wow. Northern California. Yeah. OK, born and raised in California. And so all of this work that you've been doing for, you know, for so many years has been and we've been watching California for many years. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, operate how how things uh unfolded uh with with cannabis in California and um and and really you know I see some uh states trying to model right trying to model what happens but what are some lessons that you can share for those of us that are in other states that haven't quite gotten it yet you may be they may be medicinal they're almost you know, uh, you know, adult use or have just become adult use and you seeing, you know, are they, are they doing the right thing? Should they avoid the way California rolled things out? Like what, what's some advice you can, you can give us? Because I know you, you do a lot of work in, in the space. Sure. You know, I, I'm glad to, to lend my opinion. And I say that it's my opinion because we all, we all have a view um, from our standpoint, you know, of, of where we've been, uh, California, it's my home. I wasn't born there. I was born in Texas, but, uh, but my, but I, I grew up in California, but, uh, when I started advocating for the plan, I actually was advocating in multiple spots. California was strong. Colorado was strong. Uh, Pacific Northwest was pretty, was, was working at it. And, you know, I think as we grow, what I noticed and and right now I'll say I'm in the, I'm on the East coast. And so I'm in a, a in the the Massachusetts market, and um, you know what I call the baby market. So those have been around for you know six years or, or less, right? Um, and what I, what I notice is that the states, every state keeps learning from the next state over. So you see some new innovations. You see things like social equity built into regulation to try to. Uh, have a little bit more equality and have a little bit more strength in the department of taking a look at what's going on with the black and brown citizens who were most affected, but most barriered from having licenses, right? So I think that that's a, that is one good thing that I see is that the states are attempting to learn from one another. My advice for anyone, whether they're entering the cannabis space or maybe thinking they want a license or they want to have a, you know, a, a company that is supporting to um, the cannabis industry is to understand that you are the point of entry is activism, period. Whatever color your skin is, whatever orientation you are, however you identify when you want to be a part of this community turned into an industry surrounding a plant, you are an advocate for the plant and the people whose lives are touched by it. 
And so if you're a license holder, that means you would like to take this cannabis for yourself in your retail location or some other aspect of the supply chain to the people. If you are a cultivator, you want to grow this plant and ultimately people will handle it. People will benefit from it. People will have it. So understand that you are an activist the moment you enter and you must, in order to honor this space, in order to honor your dollars, you have to be an advocate for something. Right. Even the marketability of cannabis from store to store is built off of standing for something. People will buy more from folks who they can understand their ideology, their why and their how before they buy from someone who's just kind of like, hey, I got this this weed to sell. Right. Because they want, they're, they're going to a business now. There is no more your plug where you know them. You might know their family. They might've been a friend. You know, you knew what they stood for because you know where they come from. Right. When people want to even, so you have to be mindful that when you enter this space, you are an advocate which means you're headlong into activism. So educate yourself. My second piece of advice is to educate yourself. You may think you know, we all may think we know until something changes. There's an ever-changing landscape around the regulations of cannabis, all states. So once you think you're in the know, just wait till something changes so you don't know again. So keep educating yourself and stay just really on top of not only what's happening from the top down, but what is happening in the future, what the people are talking about and what people want and the change they wanna see. You wanna definitely stay educated because I think those are some of the, <laughs> the biggest mistakes that I see is uh, companies that that go, well, this isn't happening for us. And I go, well, what do you know about this? And they fall flat, right. not much. Right. So we can't do that. We have to be unified in this. The only reason we have this, what we call an industry, is because we were unified enough to keep saying the same thing, keep protesting, advocating, yelling, hear my voice, hear my words, to have what we have in our hands right now. And we're going to lose it if we think we have it all right now. Right, right, right. Because, you know, in all actuality, it's still federally prohibited, you know. And so, like you said, you, you are literally, uh, you know, moving like an outlaw, okay, in, in these United States. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, even with that, now that um, I'm seeing the rescheduled, you know, versus descheduled conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I think that I can understand uh, both concepts right well I definitely am for descheduling right um but I don't like you said it's not something that's just going to happen right away because then what you know once it's descheduled then what and how does that affect all the things that have been done you know um and so it's going to take some time but at the same time you have states moving and creating uh opportunities but with you know prohibition still the, like you said the banking issue and and all the other uh the 280e you just it's just so difficult to truly operate a business it really is like every other industry does so people want some 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 leadway and so they you know now brought in the rescheduling to schedule 3 um but you know which i'm still i'm still baffled and trying to figure read read through that whole thing and trying to figure it out like 
yeah, we we need we need to come together as a community and yeah, speak. It, up. It's a lot to go through. It, yeah. You know, it is it is so much to to go through and understand. But the you know, I think when when that was a couple Fridays ago when when it was released, everybody started talking about it and. Then the, the panic set. It was nothing but, you know, you go through LinkedIn, you know, and it was nothing but panic. And I understand it because we, uh, many of us have worked very hard and we don't want to see something snatched away from us. So the emergency is like, hey, I got to hold on tight. What's going on here? We want descheduling. Of course, we want that. That ultimately makes the most sense, right? But rescheduling, it also, also makes sense. If we look at the track record, it also makes sense. Um, I think the biggest one is people worried about big pharma stepping in and stepping on toes. And I guess the way that I look at it is, yeah, sure, that could happen. But big pharma has a lot more money than cannabis does right now. A lot. They're able to lobby faster, harder and stronger than we ever could. Mm-hmm. And they, they haven't done anything. They've had prime opportunity to do so with or without any schedule. Right. It doesn't matter for them. So with that, when I think of it that way, I go, okay, what this really means is we got to fight. We still need to put our voices together, put our words together eloquently. We need to send our letters. We need to make our comments and talk about this. It's important that we continue to talk about this and we release the panic because there's no reason for us to have a panic. We've seen the power that we have together. Look at what we have now. We see that power and best believe that the government sees that power too. Right. And so what we need to do is exercise that power. And that power only comes when we put our voices together. We've done it before and it's time for us to do it again and keep doing it. So we can see what we, and we don't lose what we have that way. Right. And we, we carve a pathway for something new that way as well. Right, right, right. I agree. I agree. I think like you said, you know, we have to come together go over it and, and decide what works and what doesn't. And then speak about what we feel doesn't work for us. You know, like you said, especially those who are boots on the ground. Um, But you can't get involved in the space. If you think that you just don't have to do anything, you don't have to participate and, and actually help affect change. Um, And what I thought was going to be simple (laughs) It was a very complicated, you know, it was a very complicated document. And, you know, I think that, you know, constant uh, looking into policy because it's changing over and over and over again in each state, you have to stay current um, and you need support in doing that. You know, you need support in doing that um, and share, we, we have to continue to act as a community. I think that that is the biggest um, maybe uh, issue is that we've, we've, we're starting to lose the community aspect um, of cannabis and, you know, move into this industry and everybody's so, you know, concerned about, a, you know, finding a, a pathway in the space um, and being left out and being left behind. But there's no, there's really truly no industry without the community. Right. You know, so, so I, I feel like, um, you know, federal prohibition um will eventually get to where it needs to be and it'll be legalized but it is there are steps to it you know it's just not one day we're just going to wake up and bam it's you know, it's, 
it's totally it's totally legal i mean just like the states rolled out away it was medicinal first and you know yeah. and then eventually it went to adult use so i i could see it moving in that direction and you know big farmers big farmer you know, it's no different than, you know, the herbalism community as well. There's so many things that they're, you know, trying to change in that space and, and you know, regulate in that space. But yeah, no, we're not trying to challenge their space and tell them to go away. We just want equal playing field. Right, right. You know, it's a freedom of choice. You choose, you know, because I, I talk a lot about that. People know because um, I talk openly about the fact that. I'm not into Western medicine at all. You know, I did not raise my children. They're both grown. Um, I did not raise my children to uh, with doctors. I treated them at home with herbs, some of which was cannabis and other things. I treated them from my kitchen. Now, I'm not silly. If they broke a bone or something, obviously they need imaging. They need things to be reset. But, you know, we didn't go if there was an earache or a tummy ache or a fever or something like that. I wasn't searching doctor's care. Care came from me. It is not that I'm against medicine. I just like the idea that I have the freedom to choose the pathway that I want for my family. Right. And I don't think that steps on anyone's toes. Right. If every person in the United States right now, if every person on the globe said, I want to choose, we're all going to choose different things. Right. In my family, I'm a little bit different than everyone else. I was not raised that way. My family, I grew up very conservatively. My mom and dad would have never tried to treat my brother and, and I from their kitchen. Right. They were definitely going to go for Western medicine therapies. Yeah, They made that choice and it was their choice to make. It's not for me to agree or disagree with. So see, I think that, that our freedom to choose really is always what's on the line because there's going to be a maybe a higher percentage. It could be a lower, but there's going to be a percentage of people who are going to choose to turn away from pharmaceutical medications and those style of therapies. And I don't know if that is an issue, I'll say lightly, um, but I know that we deserve it. We deserve to be able to make that choice without consequence. That's right. I and that we understand that our consequences that we have, and that's only based on our actions at hand, not a consequence coming down on us like a blanket because they don't understand what we're doing. Those are two different things. I agree. I agree. And so, and all of this really stems from, you know, being an advocate, not just for everyone else, but starting with yourself, you know, and being an advocate to have the right to choose your own autonomy, you know, what you consume in your body, how you consume it, as long as it's not doing any harm to yourself or anyone else, you know, so that's where it stems from. And you recently just had an advocacy class uh a webinar right with oaks and yeah. university and you are a, a teacher there as well right and so how did that come about um me teaching for oaksterdam uh was quite interesting I, you know i went and audited a class oh i'm going to say maybe in 2020 um and it was i wound up enrolling uh, after auditing the class, because I found it so interesting. I said, you know, I want to support, I really want to support this, right? I'd already known about um, Oaksterdam University, but I hadn't really taken the time to dive in. And it was, you know, we were all at home and diving into a lot of things that we wouldn't have. And I'm so thankful for that because it helped me to find 
what the true mission of Osterdam University is. Uh, you know, their their pillars of education, advocacy, and support are demonstrated through all their co their courses. And so once I, I took uh, the business of cannabis and, and got my certificate, which I thought was absolutely wonderful for people to be able to do, you know, especially if they're just emerging into it and they have no idea what's going on. It's a good snapshot of what's happening out there. Right. Um, and then I just started talking with the with the other faculty and started talking with uh, Dale and leadership and it all boils down to, I started teaching. I started teaching an advocacy course. And then from that, I went on to start teaching a business of, uh, well, it's in the business of cannabis semester, advocacy is, but also marketing and branding um, for them. And um, I've been doing it ever since. And so now I have, uh, <laughs> I've become the chair of, uh, of impact. So kind of our outward voice. And yeah. I really like that. I love educating people, number one, um, I got a soft spot for, for learning. So I want to be a, a part of that with people, but it also helps to make sure that our voices are number one, like my mantra, stay unified, but that people understand what it means to include everyone. And sometimes that's tough because we all have a lot of biases, but we can move past those and really get down to the nitty gritty of what works. And my seat ensures that the outward voice of Oaksterdam stays clean and clear and that we make sure that everyone feels welcome and heard. Yes, I love so, it. Yeah, it's it's enjoyable. I absolutely enjoy it. Yes, I love it. I love it. And, you know, so, and then when I saw that you had the class and it was open to everyone, you know, for yeah, you. that was the first time we've done that one of those. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. Um, And so we appreciate that because I, I know, you know, there's a lot of organizations that, and educational institutions that are uh, educating in cannabis, but are missing the advocacy part. And it's just like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, <laughs> you know, this is this is a big piece because if you're missing advocacy, you're also missing history. And, you know, I think that, like you said, you have to have the foundation in those two and then be educated in order to really truly move in the space and be impactful and make sure that you're being inclusive um, of everyone because that's what the community is, right? So, um, but yet, you know, between, you know, Oaksadam and you doing, you know, Bridges with Miss Kindness and those conversations, which uh, we can find um, on YouTube or is that on a network? Um, it's on YouTube. I believe some of the series is also on Instagram and that it's at, um, it's it's Bridges. You search Bridges and go to the, the website and you can see most of the first season on, on the website right there. Wow. And that was just the first season. So there will be more. Yeah, we went on hiatus to try to gather because this is very intentional work. Bridges was a very intentional project, uh, brainchild of Miss Kindness Ramirez. And, um, you know, it was, like I said, intentional in the sense that we looked at all these topics and tried to, there's so many to choose from. There are so many, when we first started doing this and talking about it, we were on the uh, hop-in platform through Tokativity. People were coming in, they were live asking us questions and we were just like, wow, there's a lot of not only interest, but need. Mm -hmm. And so we started really thinking, what, what can we talk about that makes the most impact? that opens the most minds and answers the most questions. So, you know, before there can be more, we have to make sure that we're doing it right because everyone, there's so many organizations, even ones that have reached out to me who I dec I've declined working with because I'm like, you're not intentional. You're just trying to fill a gap. And the things that I do fill a need. Yes. Those are different. 
Yes, yes, yes. I agree. You know, everyone's talking about branding. And for me, it's like, I don't have a brand, I have a purpose. You know, I'm not just here to build something. And, you know, I'm like you said, it's intentional with, you know, problem solving and, and helping others and, and filling a need. So I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys are, uh, you ladies are taking the time to really be intentional about the conversations in the next season. It's important. And so, you know, not only can they see you there, but also Vanguard uh, Media Online. And so that publication, is it still in print or is it on uh, just digital platform? Um, it is still in print. If anybody would like to to order the archived, um, well, I should say the archived magazines, because we are moving from that print variety and uh, shifting to a completely online platform. So yeah, those first four years of um, magazines are all online and can be uh, and can be pur purchased. We are integrating that into the website right now. So when you go to vanguardmediaonline.com, um, it is you might not be able to get in as we're changing some of that code to drop everything into an online um, kind of database. So. It's relatively large. We've fielded a lot of women's stories over this time, yeah. um, but we're not going to stop with the women's stories. Um, we put a, a hold on social media so we can relaunch in this new way, <clears throat> excuse me, which will include video content and still that advocacy for women and showcasing them, but in a different way where you don't have to flip the page. You just have to scroll the screen. So it's uh, it's still the same thing. Uh, this effort has been going on probably longer than the magazine itself. I'm going to say I'm probably close to 10 years on the sharing of women's stories and having these conversations. So, um, you know, I'm happy. Even when I do hiatus, I'm still happy because I know it's coming back. You know what I mean? I know that we because we we have to have this. This is what we look like in this space right now, yesterday and tomorrow. So. You know, I'm always excited. So I'm always looking for women's stories too. So whoever wants to share. Yes, yes, thank you. And I will definitely share all of your details in the description so everyone can reach out, contact you, like you said. If you have a story that you want to uh, share and, and be on the platform, that'll be exciting. And so now you said you're in Rhode Island. So that means that are you here working on it? You know, you, you, you're on the East Coast. Now, so are you here working and what are you doing on this side of the US? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm all over the place, usually I am, but right now I've been in Rhode Island. I'm actually living in Rhode Island, but it's really probably only temporary, but I've been here for almost nine months wow. and I came out to the East Coast for one of my clients. So I do, I do, um, you know, consulting, coaching, uh, which I've done for, for years before I guess it became very buzzy to be a coaching consultant. Um, so one of my larger clients is out here and I, I just, you know, I'm free to move around. My kids are in college, so I'm free to go <laughs> wherever I wish. And so I came out here to be closer and more hands-on. Um, and through that, you know, I'm just, uh, like, you know, like you were talking about earlier in my bio, the last part of it is I started to talk more openly about the fact that I've had a coaching platform for decades. And so, you know, but now it's, it's just time to be a little bit more open about it as I survey the space itself, not just cannabis, but the whole world of mentoring and, and helping folks. And I find it wanting. I, I always tell the truth. I surveyed enough to go, wow, we need more people who really know how to navigate 
mentoring, teaching, and coaching folks through problems. And so, you know, I'm more open about the fact that, you know, take back has always been a thing for me. And, um, you know, just applying that method to my clients is very helpful. And I will go far and large for uh, for the folks I, I want and need to help. I love it. I love it. It's so many, so many facets of what you do, you know, in and out of cannabis space. I mean, just the 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 tech, the IT, you know, the media company, <laughs> advocacy, and you know, grassroots organizing. I, I mean, you're a powerhouse, and I'm so grateful that you decided to join the platform. Um, Black Women Who Blaze, you know, definitely a trailblazer has blazed trails, and and this is how, why and how I'm able to navigate the space that the way I am, you know. So I appreciate what you've done, all that you continue to do, and I look forward to. Uh, you know, further connections and, you know, to vibe with you again, I'll have you back on the platform and maybe dive into something specific. Um, but is there anything else that you would like to share uh, for the audience and, and those who support the platform, um, especially Black women who are looking to cannabis and thinking and hearing about an industry, thinking about, you know, some of the transferable skills they may have and what their next steps should be in the space. Sure. Um, you know, I think that I, I like to let folks know that when you're wanting to enter into anything, and this includes cannabis, um, shift your focus, shifting your focus. We spend a lot of time on our phones and, uh, you know, so it's in social networks, shift your focus there, start to follow folks who are in the know, um, find people who you think are smarter than you in the space and follow them, read their words, and diversify that. Three words from these five people find five opposing thoughts and read that too. Be well-rounded in your knowledge base to press you forward so you can figure out what your next step is. Always ask questions, keep learning, and don't be afraid to take a chance because that's that's the one you, you, you will keep teaching yourself and you, you know, okay, I can learn this, I can learn this here, and you'll get caught in that loop. You have to step outside that loop and take a chance on yourself, on your project, on your own knowledge. Trust you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, how can people reach you um, if they want to connect, you know, if they need some guidance, some consultants, some coaching, um, if they want to, you know, attend your class, your next uh, advocacy, advocacy class? Sure, you can go for uh, any classes that I teach through Oaksterdam. You can go to oaksterdamuniversity.com and you can scroll through the course guideline and you can uh, search me on there. You can find some of the things that are, are free um, that, that I've taught. Um, if you are interested in any coaching or just want to talk, <laughs> just want to talk shop, um, I'm available on all the social media platforms and mostly on LinkedIn. So you just search me by my name and look for the Mohawk um, and <laughs> you'll be able to find me. I'm always open to DMs. You can email me directly um, at my coaching hotline, which is Tiffany at takebackcoaching.com. Um, and, you know, I will, I'm always ready to communicate. So yeah, just drop me a line. Well, thank you so much, Lady Canna, an original goddess the cannabis space, 30 plus years, you know, modern day black history. I truly appreciate all that you've done and your time. And if you are a black woman who blazes, 
who consumes for your health and well-being, you are an employee in the industry or an entrepreneur, um, an advocate and want to come and share your story, please reach out at Black Women Who Blaze on IG. You can DM me. And if you need any of my services, you can find me at nativenubian.com. Peace and wellness. Thank you.